So this evening I want to consider with you not the whole passage which we just read, but in particular verse 12, when it says that he who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. And the question I have is, dead or alive, which one are you? But before we come to consider these verses, let me just give you briefly a little bit of context so that we understand the context in which these words are being said by the Apostle John. In our culture, we, we often find nowadays, don't we, that we live in a culture of relativism. We live in a culture of political correctness. And these things are all common. So as we come to the letter of 1 John, we are kind of uh, shocked by how clear and straightforward he sounds. He is not trying to, to soften the blow, is he? The whole book of John is a book that is written by this old apostle. John writes this book uh, when he was about eight years old. He had been serving his master faithfully for about 50 years as a, a pastor, as a theologian, as a, a church planter, as an evangelist, as a, an apostle of God. And he's the last of the apostles. All of the other have been martyred by now and is all left. He was for many decades, for many years, the, the one who took care of Jesus' mother as we read in, uh, in the gospel that he himself wrote, that Jesus commended his mother to him for his care. But it is here, at the end of his life, that he writes this letter, this loving letter to a church. And he writes this letter as one who is, has a loving investment as a spiritual pastor, as a spiritual father. He is caring for his spiritual ch children and he wants them to know how and what to believe and how to, they are to live. And he points three things when we won't be able to go through, the, through it for the sake of time. But he, in the whole letter, there are three main uh, things that he points to. He wants the, his spiritual children to be able to uh, know for certain, know where they stand with the Lord. And there are three things that he points to. He points them to, to doctrine, what they believe. He, brought, he points them to obedience, and love what they do. And that's what we look, as we read from 1 John 5, that is what he's trying to bring out here. He mentions the, the, the need for doctrine. He, mention, he mentions the need to be obedient, to keep the commandments of God. And he mentions the need to love God and love the brethren. And he says that these are the evidences of being spiritually born again of being begotten of him. Verse 1 of chapter 5, that is what he's saying, being born of him, being born of God, being regenerated. And he talks about verse 1 and 2, about the love for believers. He talks about obedience, verse 4 and 5. He talks about doctrine, 
what defines our love. Ultimately, as we get to verse 10, John states that the testimony that Jesus is the Son of God, really the, the litmus question, the main question, the ultimate question is whether you know and have him. He states that the, the ultimate testimony that Jesus is the Son of God is originated from God himself. Those who accept this testimony, he says, have eternal life. And those who reject it, not only reject the message and imply by rejecting the message that God uh, is a liar. That's what he says in verse 10, that um, he who believes in the Son of God and the witness has the witness in himself. He who does not believe has made him a liar. You're implying that by not believing that God is a liar. And you're rejecting the Son and rejecting God himself. Because no one, as John himself says, can love the Father and not love the Son. So that's a bit of the context of the book of John and the goal or the, the, of John to write. John himself says it. Verse 13 is his summary uh, of his motivation to write this book. He says, I've written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know, that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. That is the whole reason. And before us, the text today, we have something of that testimony. Because we, uh, there, is, there are those who profess to believe, there are those who, who profess to believe and don't, there are those who don't believe and who don't have the Son and are dead, and there are those who have the Son and are alive. And the question is, are you dead or are you alive? You see, the human life is a vapor. And this is a very important question. In light of the fleetingness and the brevity of human life, human life passes quite quickly. I don't know how old uh, you are. Or some, I know how old some of you are, but... You probably realize this more than me. Many of you are older than me and you've, you've, you've seen your life fly by in quite quickly. And this makes sense. That life is a vapor. You know what a vapor is, don't you? The vapor is that thing in the, you know, on, a, on a cold morning. You, you breathe out and there's this vapor, uh, this mist, and it quickly vanishes. As, as quickly as it shows up, it quickly vanishes. And that's what the Word of God says. That our life is just like that vapor. You think it is uh, something that lasts, but it actually doesn't. In the grand scheme of things, we come and go quite quickly. I was told by someone recently that uh, we peak in our physical abilities, most of us, or uh, normally, uh, we peak around 25 to 30 years old. And this is quite easy to prove you look at sports athletes it's around the 25 to the 30 year old uh, range that they peak in their in their physical abilities and even though they might be able as sports athletes to carry on their their stamina their speed their pace quite uh, from 25 to 30 starts dipping down and most of them retire quite soon after because their bodies are decaying we don't produce new, uh, 
nothing new. When you get to the 30-year-old, and I can testify to this as a 35-year-old, that actually now things that usually were quite much easier for me to do are now hard and difficult. I used to run for the whole day, and the next day I could run a whole day as well. And nowadays, if I run for half an hour, I have three or four days of trying to recover and feeling pain. Our bodies daily give symptoms of this decay. And that is what life is, a vapor. But that is not the life that is being spoken of here. Although there, it is important to consider our earthly life in light of the message today. When the, the Apostle John says, he who has the Son has life, what does he mean by life? We know what it means to be alive, don't we? Because we know what it means to be dead. Your heart stops, your, your brain function ceases, uh, and you're dead. But here when the Apostle John is applying it to, to the Christian, to those who believe, he's not talking about physical, outward life. He's talking about spiritual life in connection to being renewed by the Spirit, being born again, as he says in, in verse 1, being begotten, born of God, being begotten of Him. And it is true that the Christian has life. So we will consider first the state of the Christian, and secondly, the, the condition of the unbeliever. What is the state of the Christian? He's alive. He was once dead, spiritually dead. Ephesians 2 says that we were dead in our trespasses. 1 Timothy 5, 6 says that we were dead while living. We are spiritually dead. We are legally dead as well. We are in a state of condemnation. Although we are living physically, we are as good as dead. Because of our sins, because of our transgressions, the death sentence, of uh, the penalty of death sentence, the curse of death lies upon our, our, heart, our souls. We have no prospect of any pardon in ourselves. Only blackness and darkness Romans 5.15 says that we, for one man's offense, many died. Verse 21 says, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign. It is our sinfulness that causes us to be legally under the state of condemnation. The condition of this, the saint, the Christian, before he took possession of Christ, is one of not having Christ. You, the, the contrast is quite clear. You don't have Christ, you're dead. And you're, you have Christ, you're alive. What does that mean? That, there was, that the condition before becoming a Christian is one that you don't see, you don't understand your need and necessity to have Christ. But now, as we consider the state of the Christian... The Christian is one who has life in himself. Why? True life, true spiritual life, because he has the Son. He has the Son. There is a possession here. I remember when I was a, 
a young believer around perhaps my 16, 17 year, 17 year old, 18 year old, and um, there was this chorus in, uh, in the youth group that me and Celia attended uh, in, uh, in Portugal. And uh, it went something like this, Christ is mine, yes, Christ is mine, uh, my life he has transformed since I've saw, saw him and believing received him I received eternal salvation and, uh, and there was something troubling about this hymn at the time this whole language about Christ being mine I had no real understanding of what it meant to, to say that Christ is mine I always found it mildly um, inconsistent at least with what I thought I could say about Christ as if Christ is an object when I say that Christ is mine and, and I, I, I possess it because usually possessing it means that you are Lord over something, right? It's mine. I do with it what, what I please. So I, I always struggled with this sentiment of having the Son and, and saying that Christ is mine. But then I came to understand the doctrines of grace and understand more deeply the atoning work of Christ and his salvation that actually possessing Christ in the sense that John here tells us is a possessing of him in the in contrast with everything else I possess Christ I depend upon him I rest upon him he is my savior I'm, he is mine he is the Lord of my heart he is the guide for my actions. He is my supreme delight. That is the sense that uh, John here speaks of as Christ is, uh, uh, is possessed by the believers. He who has the Son, he who possesses the Son, has life. He who cherishes Him, he who takes Him, has His possession. Why, is he, why is it, isn't it wrong to call Christ a possession? Because Christ is a gift of God. Do you understand that? Even as a believer, do you understand that you, Christ is a, a gift of God to you? That you can indeed possess Christ because He is a gift of God. That God, for God so loved the world that He gave. He gave. It's yours. His only begotten Son. It is a gift. Christ came down from heaven to this earth. He became a man. He lived and died and rose again and ascended. Not for himself. Not for, for his own uh, self. But for his people. So that his people could take possession of him. And have eternal life in him. We are told that the, as the head does not exist for itself but for the body. And as the, the vine does not exist for itself, but for the branches, in that sense, Christ does not exist for or does not uh, work for himself, but he works for you. And I say this reverently. He came so that you may have life. He came as a gift of God the Father to, to you, and you can take possession of him. You can be a partaker. You can be, uh, enjoy him and be a partaker of his divine nature. Christ suffered, but he suffered nothing for himself. He suffered for those he came to save. Think of Christ as the fountain of life. 
He said, I am the li uh, he said that he was the fountain of living waters. He is called the life. He is called the bread of life. He is the author of life. So you can take possession of him. And as you take possession, as you take possession of the Son, you have life. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. He was the one that came and fulfilled the law that you couldn't fulfill. He fulfilled it perfectly. He magnified it by becoming its victim. Christ suffered as a victim to the law he did not break so that you who broke the law might have life in him. That is the great exchange that happens. How is it that we can be living even though we die? How is it that there are many in, this, uh, in the history of this world that have now passed from this life unto the next but they are still alive? Because of this exchange that happened on the cross. How is it that many are physically alive today but they are spiritually dead because they haven't received the Lord. They haven't taken possession of Him. Only those who take possession, only those who have the Son have true life. And here is implied that this having the Son is have, uh, having of the Son by faith. This is true only of those who believe. This is true only of those who have hope of eternal life. When a sinner regenerated by the Spirit has his eyes opened to the sinfulness of his sin, to the wickedness of his sin, to the condemnation and the wrath that justly comes upon him, it's only then that by faith he takes hold of Christ. He touches the hem of his garment. He looks to him for salvation. It is only when the spirit quickens, regenerates the soul, that we come trembling as the jailer in Philippi, not knowing what else to do, knowing the condemnation that rightly is coming unto us, and we throw ourselves at the feet of Christ, at the foot of the cross. It is only when the Spirit works in our hearts that by faith we come to understand that actually all, the, the world, all of that this world has to offer is fleeting. And all of life is but a vapor. And everything else becomes worthless in our eyes. And we say, as the psalmist said, your loving kindness is better than life. How, how is it that, that, that the psalmist is able to say that? How is it that King David is able to say your loving kindness is better than life? Because he has tasted a life that is so much deeper and so much richer than the life that this world uh, offers. This, the, the veneer of physical life that is but a vapor. Oh, that we would understand this. That we would take possession of the Son. Because without Him, there is no life. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by Him. It is indispensable. 
It is fundamentally necessary. There is no life outside of him. He is the branch, he is the, the vine, and we are the branches. If we are not, if the branch is not connected to the to the vine, the the, the branches die. So there is a need. Indispensable. Nothing else will save you. Nothing else will give you life. Your morality will not give you life. Your religious duties will not give you life. You attending every single Sunday the church services will not give you life. You doing all kinds of works of charity will not give you life. Your self-righteousness is not enough. There is a need to have the Son. It is only in the Son and by having the Son that you have life. And having life is the greatest of all blessings. You're raised from the dead spiritually to walk in newness of life. You're the powers of the soul and the, and the, the eyes of, of, this, uh, of faith or spiritual eyes are now open and you see your need and you run to Christ. And it is just not simply a... a, a a temporary life that is offered to you when you come to Christ. It is an eternal life. It is a life that has no end. This life here, the, our life, physical life in this world, if we have the Son, we enjoy spiritual life as well. But it's just a small glimpse of the, of the fullness that is heaven in the eternal life in heaven. It is just a stream that, that eventually will flow into the big ocean. That is eternal life. Yes, we fully enjoy life, spiritual life now, but it's, it's in measure. It's a gleaning before the great harvest. It is full. Our Lord Jesus said, but whoever drinks the water that I give him will never thirst again. Indeed, indeed the water I give him will become to him a spring of water that springs up to eternal life. Do you understand what Jesus is saying? Do you have eternal life now? You will never thirst again. But wait. Just you wait. Because in eternity, it will spring up to eternal life. Saved through the uttermost, as the author of Hebrews says. We have spiritual life here. We have enjoyments and foretastes, but it's just a, 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 a comparison, a veiled comparison that really doesn't, uh, doesn't do it justice. It's just a drop in the great ocean of eternal life. Because in, etern in eternity, it is when we are truly released from the, 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 this world, from its sorrows from its conflicts from its challenges and its temptations it's only in eternal life that we are truly delivered from sin and its effects now we see through a mirror dimly but in will come a time and a day that we will see fully face to face the lord and we will worship him for all eternity that is 
the current condition of the saint when we consider that he who has a son has life. Or better, better said, this is a little bit of the current condition of those who have life in the Son. But you might ask, what is the desperate condition of those who don't have life? We are told that those who do not have the Son, those who do not have possession of the Son, do not have life. He who does not have a God for his portion, he who does not trust him, he who does not rest upon him, uh, he is in misery. He is miserable. He has no life in himself. He's dead in his sins and trespasses. He is without hope in this world. Without God, without Christ, he is without hope in the world, as Paul says. Why is it that some people refuse to come to Christ? Why is it that you still refuse to come to Christ? Is it because you're indifferent? Is it because you don't think it is important? Is it because you're too young and you think you'll have time? The real reason is because your eyes are shut. Because you're, you do not see your need for him. Some think they don't need Christ because they're good enough in themselves. I'm not that bad. When the time comes, that's, this might be you. When the time comes, I know God won't judge me. I know God won't send me to hell. I'm a good person. Look at my neighbor. He's really bad. I'm not like Hitler. I'm not like, like those murderers. I'm not like those people who, who pick up guns and go on shooting sprees. I'm not like them. Deep down, deep inside, and in a, in a very visible way, I'm actually a good person. You're fooling yourself. He who breaks the law in one point has broken the whole thing, and he's liable for it. And some, sadly, some are those that love this world too much. Ultimately, that's all of them, but there are those who do not have any interest in religion because they are just too busy with pursuing the pleasures of this world, pursuing the parties and pursuing uh, drink and all-nighters, pursuing sex and sensuality, worldly pleasure. They love their sinfulness too much to part with it, to turn to Christ. So they continue following the course of this world and their death in their sins and trespasses. They do not have life. They do not have heaven. They do not have spiritual life. Although they live, although they seem very lively, they're actually dead. Because they don't have the Son. John 14, 6 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. They are dead in their sins and trespasses. John 10, verse 1 says, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who enters, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. 
Or 1 Corinthians 3.11, Paul says, For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. There is no other way of being saved. It is Christ and Christ alone. Otherwise you are without life. The wrath of God is upon you. And think about it. Think about what it means to have the wrath of God upon you. Some of you have felt it and fled to Christ, but others have not felt it. But think about it. You might think, oh, actually, this whole thing about wrath of God is just something that is in uh, God's said or something that is uh, there, but it's, it has no real bite to it. It has no, it's just to <clears throat> scare people into obedience. Oh, the wrath of God, no one can describe. You think the wrath of man is, is difficult? You think the wrath of man is something that is to be, to be feared? The wrath of God is much more. Because the wrath of God does not allay. The wrath of God does not stop at some point. The wrath of man at some point when justice uh, is, is uh, when the person is satisfied, he will stop. There is a point in time where it finishes. The wrath of God is not finished because the sin you've committed is eternal. And it is as sure as God himself is God Almighty. He is not a liar. He is not a man that he should lie. And it will come. And it is coming. Perhaps this time today is the day that you're enjoying some respite and, and some warnings. And let, me, let this be a warning to you. If it is coming to you, if you're someone who's still not come to trust and take possession of the, uh, of the Son of God and have life, maybe today is God giving you a chance. Perhaps the last chance. You know in the... When you go to the... To the mountains, there is... Uh, especially by the shepherds that inhabit the mountains, they, they know how to tell the weather. They know how to read, as Jesus said, the signs of the times with regards to the, to, the, to the sky. But there is another way that some of the people who live in mountains know if, if there is a, a, a storm coming. It's usually said or it's usually seen when the animals start hiding. Even long before uh, the first drops of rain start coming, long before the, the thundering uh, claps, the animals start hiding themselves. There's something in the air Scientists say it's the, mag the electromagnetism that animals are more uh, acutely aware of. And they feel, okay, it's about to, to go down. So they flee. The, even the birds, when they're flying, they start to fly lower down. Animals on the ground start hiding because there is a thunderstorm coming. And if you live on, up in the mountains, you learn to pick up on those signs and... You, if you see animals hiding, you, start, you go and hide yourself as well. Because 
Because what is coming is rather terrifying. You see that in many ways our life, we have these points, don't we? Perhaps this is the point in time where you have a little bit of silence, a little bit of, of respite, where you're starting to feel this stillness. Oh, but let me tell you, if you think you're still right now, and, but outside of Christ, it is just the stillness that comes before the, the storm hits. Run for shelter. Run for shelter now. Run. Because it's coming. The tempest is coming. And the thunders will rock the earth. The great mountains will be raised and leveled, as the prophet says. And perhaps to you today is the day of calm and respite. It is the, the, the day of this terrifying calm. Don't rejoice in it. If you're outside of Christ, don't, don't take great, great pleasure in it. Because it is coming. And it will destroy you. So will, what will it be? Will you come to Christ? Will you understand that he, he who does not have the Son of God does not have life? And all that waits upon you is an eternity of pain. It doesn't matter if you have good works to show in the presence of God. It does not matter if you have uh, religious uh, ob obedience to show. All that matters on that day as you stand before the great thro throne of judgment. All that really matters is do you have the Son? Is the Son going to look upon you and say, Father, this is one of my own. I gave my life for this one. The greatest question is, isn't it? Is he yours? It is a very fearful thing. Those, or it is a very fearful saying that, that you, what Jesus said at one point, that many, many in that day will say to me, Lord, Lord, haven't we prophesied? Haven't we done this? Haven't we done that? Haven't we, have, haven't we performed many miracles in your name? But the door has been shut already. They're outside knocking. Lord, aren't we those that served you? Aren't we those that performed miracles? Didn't I uh, profess to be a Christian for 40 years of my life? Lord, let me in. I, I, the problem is that. The problem is that you're saying, I, 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 I did this, I did that, I did the other. That is not enough. That will condemn you to an eternity in hell. If there was a, a, a possibility... If there was, because there isn't, but if there was a possibility that a true Christian would stand outside of the doors on that day and knock, he would never say, I'm, he would actually never say, I did this, I did that. He would, he would, he would say, I, I trust you. But I deserve what's coming for me. I thought I trusted you, but I didn't. But he would never put the, 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 rely, the, the, the reason and, the, and the, the, the possibility or, the, or the, the motivation to be saved in himself. I had you. You were mine, Lord. I was yours. 
There is no other name given for which man must be saved. It is Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. And if you're Christ's, if you are a believer, if you are one of those that has received the Son, that has taken possession of the Son, if you're one of those who truly has life, if these things that I've been saying have, have resounded with you, and you've said, yes, I know that because I've felt that in the past, but now I've come to trust in Christ, I pray that you would continue to trust in Him. That you would not be satisfied with what you have of Christ right now. That you would want more. That you would pursue more. That you would look for more. That you would put away the things of this world. That you would say, as David said, your loving kindness, your chesed, your steadfast love is better than life. Of all the people who's, who, who said this, it was David, the king. David, who was a king, who had the loftiest of palaces. He said, your loving kindness, your grace, your presence is better than life. Because your love is better than life. So my lips will glorify you. So I pray that you would indeed glorify him. That you would indeed Look for more of His grace. Get to know Him more. Possess of Him more. And love Him more. And as John says, you love Him by, love, by keeping His commandments. Or as Jesus Himself said, if you love me, you keep my commandments.